a lot of times family gets used on like it's like a tug of war of, but I'm family. Yeah. Okay. And there's still rules in this family, you know? So, so I would use family, but very clearly with rules of engagement. So for C-suite, the rules are our principles, relevancy, reach, reciprocity, respect, critical. You know, if those rules aren't followed, you don't get to play in the family. That's just not going to be acceptable. So do we want you to fail? Never. Will we support you in succeeding? Absolutely. If you choose not to observe, you are making that choice. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I am the Chief Inspiration Officer at Dreamcatchers. And today we have Trisha Ben in, and I think she's in like Pennsylvania, but sometimes she's in like California and then New York and then Canada. It's going to be a wild ride, ladies and gentlemen. So buckle up. Trisha, how are you? And where are you right now? I'm great. Thank you, Jerome. And I happen to be in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania today. So, and it is freezing today. It is a very cool day. What I, I had 18 on my run this morning. What do you have? Oh gosh. I, you know, I think it was with negative numbers this morning and I have a puppy. I have a new puppy. He's a few months old now. And we went for a walk this morning and he's learning what it means to heal and not pull me over in the freezing and icy conditions that we have here in the Northeast. Wow. And so you you are further south than you started, right? Because you've got this really cool story. So where did you grow up? So I grew up in a little place called Guelph, Ontario, which is about an hour northwest of Toronto in Canada. Wow. So like north, northwest. Okay. So you told me one time, like you, you had some skates or something. Can, can we talk about that a little bit? <laughs> I did. So, so I actually, I grew up on a hobby farm, which is a really important part of my upbringing because my parents were students. They rented a property where there was a farm and a barn and they rented out stalls. And that was part of how they paid for their education and, and having a, a little person like me. And so I had horses all around me, horse people, farm people. My uncle was my blacksmith. I learned how swearing could be absolutely wonderful because I got I had a swear bucket that he paid into in large sums. But it turned out that I loved figure skating. So I actually was a competitive figure skater and I spent 10 to 12 hours a day, six days a week figure skating. I was an ice dancer and I trained at the Olympic Training Center in Canada. And so that was a big part of my life and how I think to both of those things. Growing up on a farm and you know you you are absolutely of use when you grow up on a farm. You do whatever needs to be done and you're not the first thing on the list, right? The first thing on the list is caring for everything that's in your responsibility. And then of course, the discipline of being a competitive athlete. And so that made a lot of other things in life a lot simpler, I think. 
Wow. So I'm looking over your right shoulder and it says something like C-suite network. So how does a competitive figure skater go from that to like the C-suite network? What is that anyway? So it's a very interesting path. I actually, at 18 years old, I had a, a, a truly terrible injury. I, I shredded my MCL in my knee and I had to make the decision of what I wanted to do next. And so I went to university and ironically, my degrees are in sociology and anthropology, which has absolutely nothing to do with what I do in many ways. And in other ways, maybe everything, I don't know. But what I discovered when I got out into the work world, I went out into public affairs consulting and spent a number of years in that space. And what I learned was I loved business. I loved creating successful teams. I loved being able to create great business models that delivered purpose, intention, alignment, you know, connection. And great results that everybody could be proud of. And what I learned was the old business model was when you succeed financially, you get to do whatever you want, which meant you could be an asshole if you wanted. Can I swear on your show, Jerome? Absolutely. Go ahead. Okay. You could be an asshole if you wanted because you were making the money. And what I learned was, ah, I could make money. And that meant I could do what I wanted, which was to further empower the success of everyone on my team team to move faster, move bigger. And that meant delivering greater results to our clients and partners, which meant that we just got to do more of it. And I got to see that accelerated success. And that perfectly ties in to the brand promise of C-Suite Network. Wow. And so the brand promise is? Accelerated success for executives, owners, investors, and influencers. And influencers. and. It's really cool to see what you guys have done with that, to see the network and the community that you've cultivated, because I don't think most people who are in these roles actually have somebody to turn to. They usually look to their left and their right and there's nobody there. And then they think about venting downwards and they realize pretty quickly that they can't do that because it has people in this space of uncertainty they don't want to sow that throughout their organization. So what are some of the challenges that you see as you work with CEOs all across the country? But wait, before we go there, like you were in the C-suite at some point, right? Like talk about your success in corporate because I don't want people to think, hey, she just organized this group and like they go hang out. Like, no, Trisha is like a big deal, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, you know, here's the thing. We're all big deals in our own little worlds and we're all not. And so, you know, I appreciate you saying that, Jerome. I really do truly look at my experience as what it can be in terms of usefulness for other people. So, you know, for me, I was an executive at three enterprise-sized organizations. For me, it was always about how I built those great business models to create success. So I merged businesses. I built businesses from scratch and created new revenue models and so on. So my last role before coming on to C-Suite Network, and I came in the business and I'm a partner in the business and I lead the business of C-Suite Network. Before that, I was a chief marketing and strategy officer in a $3 billion holding company. And I had P&L responsibilities for one of our New York businesses. So that enterprise-sized experience, as well as the how do you build from the ground up, 
I love all of it. And I love seeing success. And, you know, what you were talking about in terms of who do we go to, who do we open up to? Ironically, that audience that we serve, executives, owners, investors, influencers, in many ways, they're the most challenged. We're the most challenged because who do we go to? Where do we let the armor off to say, wait a second, I'm not sure I know about this, or how do I do this better, smarter, faster? By the way, I just spent millions of dollars and man, was that a mistake, right? What happens in fact in business is we typically end up having to justify what we did, even if the person that served us did a terrible job. And so there's some real challenges there and being able to hold a space, lead a space where we can succeed faster. It's very near and dear to my heart and being authentic about it. You don't, you don't need to be an asshole to be successful in business. And I always say, you know, the greedy bastards will continue, right? They don't need support. It's those of us that actually care about the impact we're going to have with our successful businesses. We want to be able to give back to our communities. And I know, Jerome, you know all about that with the CEOs, the executives, the business owners that you work with. It's when we genuinely care about the impact we have and succeeding, you know, that success that matters, that we need to be connecting. We need those ways that we're getting supported to be able to get through the challenges faster and with less wounds, you know? Less wounds. That part is the important part, right? And I, I kind of look at my scars from time to time and like, man, that thing tried to kill you. You, you overcame it. But and it's a big but, right? Sometimes you don't have to actually experience that wound. You don't have to go through that and get scarred. You can learn from other people's scars. And I think that's part of being in the community because you can let off the armor and people hear about what happened. It gives you opportunity to avoid that. Is that right? Yeah, I, I love thinking about it from the perspective of we were all once teenagers, right? And some of us have teenagers. And so in business, we are no longer teenagers. We actually want to learn from other people's challenges and learnings, right? We don't want to have to go through all the pain. Our teenagers, they need to experience that for themselves. You know, in business, we need to learn as quickly as we can from others in terms of what worked, what didn't work, why did it work or not work so that we can adjust and use that information to move forward faster. And so that's the importance of having that community to have those open conversations and that trust, you know, that, that trust group that you have where you can learn and, you know, adapt and then move quickly to where you need to go for your business to succeed. Wow. 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 So where did this idea come from? Like, why do that? I mean, it's in concept, it sounds like a mastermind, but I think it's probably a little bit more than that. So like, why do this instead of something else with your talents? Oh, (laughs) that is a huge question, Jerome. So I am truly inspired by the real and great things of people and what we dedicate our time to. So for me, I am an absolute believer that as business leaders, so executives, owners, investors, influencers, we have the greatest opportunity to impact people, impact our communities and serve our communities. There are lots of other organizations that are set up to faith-based organization, governmental organizations, not-for-profits. But in business, we are taught to create models that allow us to expand faster, right? So move faster, have greater reach, et cetera. 
So I really, truly believe we have an incredible responsibility and an incredible opportunity that other groups don't have to create success that we want to see in the communities we serve. And I love that across the whole of the C-suite platform, our diversity is extensive, which means that in the role that I have now building the C-suite network and continuing to increase its reach and capacity and impact, I am supporting all great things happening that great business leaders care about and are supporting in their communities across the country and also the globe. The globe? Wait, Mm -hmm. this is international? It is international. Absolutely. And through COVID, it has become truly international and we're continuing to expand. We do not target or market or advertise into international communities but it has come to us just through word of mouth. And so I'll be congratulating everybody on a Friday evening at our Celebrates event. And I'll be teasing that I'm drinking a glass of wine, or it might be a water night for me or whatever it is. And that my colleagues, my leaders in Australia are drinking coffee. I hope they're intravenous drinking coffee at that point, because that's what I do at that time in the morning. So yes, it's you know great people Whatever it is that we're doing in terms of our businesses, we need to be connected with each other. And it's, it's not some kind of cheesy, this person's really important, so I want to be associated with them. It's truly about how we succeed faster with great people that will take that armor off, that will be real, that are committed to outcomes, not just the appearances or the fame of the places that we sit in as leaders. The fame of it all. This is interesting. Okay. So do you think that many people aspire to these titles or positions simply because they like the allure of it all or the looks of it? Or Frequently, ego gets in the way, period, right? We're human. So frequently, ego does get in the way. And that's why you have actually really, really poor business decisions. And we've all, we all, I know everyone listening now and you and I, Jerome, we all know examples where a decision was made that is absolutely ludicrous. It has nothing to do with the outcomes that were sought after. It has everything to do with how ego played into the scenario. So does fame play into it? Absolutely. We act not in our own best interest. We act not in the best interest of our constituencies and the people we care about most when that gets in the way. So it's something that we need to be looking at. For me, I look at recognition. I look at awareness as a tool, right? It's not me. It's not Trisha in any way, shape, or form. It truly is about how I convey a message that is important and useful to others to succeed. And what I've learned about you over the months that we've known each other is that the message matters at a very deep level. You've worked really hard to make sure that it's always personal. It's not some detached, cliche platitude offered to someone, but the fact that they are a person, you see them you appreciate them and they matter. So where did that come from? Because, I mean, there's a lot of people who want to be on your calendar. You were talking to me about your schedule one day and I just looked at you baffled because I thought I worked a lot and you, you're you doing way more than me. You know, 
Oh my goodness. I am, at first and foremost, I come from an absolute position of honor and gratitude, you know, that I have something useful to give. And so I think in a lot of ways, growing up on that farm, you're taught a lot of really basic skills. Your word matters, delivering matters, you know, your intention when the animals need to be fed has nothing to do with the outcome of making sure they're fed and cared for. (laughs) So I think that had a lot to do with it. I also had a very different upbringing from the perspective that my mom went back to school, became a veterinarian. She did her DV, her, her master's in veterinary medicine. I never thought of it as anything, but she obviously was the first woman running an entire division of the university that she was at. And I just thought that was normal. I, it never occurred to me. You know, I look at all the pictures. It's like all the men <laughs> and then my mother, you know, on the wall in the building. And, and never occurred to me that she was the only woman. It's just, of course she did that. She was incredibly capable. And, and I thought, I thought that women took on the greater financial responsibility, the greater economic responsibility, the global speaking. I mean, literally you name it. I thought that was the case. And my grandmother, her mother, started her own business, had her own money. And one of my keynotes I speak about, you always have $20 in your wallet. And I promise you I have $20 in my wallet right now, hopefully a little bit more actually. But I always have money in my wallet. My grandmother said, you need to have $20 in your wallet. And really, truly, it only occurred to me in my 40s how much of a political statement that was. I mean, when I was five years old, I thought, amazing, I get lots of candy. (laughs) But but I had more learnings as I went along, independence, being able to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And then as a woman, my goodness, what a political statement for a woman of that era to say a woman should always have $20 in her pocket. Why is that a political statement, though? I've got two little girls, and I want them to have all the things and all the opportunities. So I don't get it. So that was an incredibly political statement because in those days, women couldn't even own their own bank accounts. They had no control over money. They had to ask their husband's permission to spend money, have access to credit, anything. And so for the idea in those days of a woman having political or economic independence, it's really extraordinary. And even to this day, there are scenarios where you just want to shake your head and think, how is that even possible? In fact, Jerome with daughters, the idea of parity with what's happened with the great resignation, we are now, they're now predicting it's 208 years until you can look at your daughters in the eyes and say, you will be paid equally for your skills and production to the little boy sitting next to you. And whoa, whoa, whoa. 208 years. What are you talking about? Why, yeah. why would they not be paid the same? So great question. And gosh, almighty, I wish, <laughs> I wish it was as insane to everyone as that sounds. So I'm 50 now, and I've always been in business, and I was the youngest executive in the enterprise size organization I was with back at 31, 32 years old. And the fact of the matter is there are really significant discrepancies between the compensation of men and women in the workplace. And my age grouping was the age grouping where education became equal. So the idea was that by the time we got to my age, for example, We'd have parity in the boardroom. We'd have parity in the corner offices and so on. And obviously, that's not even remotely close to the the case. 
So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where there's definitely a lot of work to be done and a resetting in terms of what's important, what we value, and not forcing our young women, little women like yours, I have an 11 and 16 year old, to make choices they don't need to make. With men, being married, having children is a sign of stability, right? It's a sign of security, of seriousness, of legitimacy. For women, it's like a a choice not to succeed. And I fundamentally, entirely disagree with that. (laughs) Whoa, you're blowing my mind right now. Is it just the establishment or is it because women are less likely to negotiate? Like, why are we still here? Not how do we get here, but why are we still here? And what can we do as business owners, right? The majority of the folks that listen to this podcast are either business owners or, you know, they have ambitions to be business owners, but they're probably in the machine. You know, they're probably at a large organization. Right. And you know, it's funny mm-hmm. you bring this up, Trisha, because I don't want to toot my own horn, but I remember in my last role where there was a disparity between two people doing the same job on our team. And I noticed it. And there was about a $10,000 difference on a $50,000 salary. And they said, we will balance this. Mm -hmm. That's incredible, Jerome. I mean, doing that that's huge, right? That that creates awareness around that for all of the decision makers you had to influence to be able to make that call and to have that instituted. So every little thing we do matters. And, and that's a thing, something that's that's so important. Frequently we're told we don't matter, right? I, I mean, just give up. The problem's too big. And I again do not agree with that. Every little step we can take is a step forward. And even if it doesn't have the outcome we wanted it helps us to know, okay, got that information. Now, how do I move forward from there? So in terms of the challenges, what I'm a huge believer in is it's not about education, clearly, right? It's not about expertise or excellence or capability because we have tremendous numbers. I mean, and and by the way, we're using women, but if you look at any marginalized or underrepresented group, right? If you look at Black men, Black women, and then you could just continue to extend beyond that disability, LBGQT, and so on and so on and so on. If you look at underrepresented groups, the challenge is not about skill set. It's not about, certainly about education. It's really, truly, I think, a couple of things. One, especially, is the enmeshment into trusted communities that are making those decisions. So it's not about skill set. It's about being trusted, having relationships where you get invited to be part of those boards, where you get invited to be considered for those corner office positions. So the enmeshment into other networks and communities is absolutely critical. Again, with C-suite, I love that because we're bringing in all diverse communities. I'm so excited about some of the progress we've made even since speaking to you last We've just brought on a whole new executive women's network, Leadership Global. I've got all kinds of other groups that I'm in conversation with to bring into the C-suite platform because that enmeshment and extension of trust across different groupings, whether it's regional, demographic, or any other thing that makes us different or potentially divided from each other, separated from each other, that's a block to be able to get to those highest level positions. And I want to remove that as much as possible. I want to create those relationships where that extension can be given. 
A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, aka the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. So a lot of people network is based on who they're in proximity to. Mm-hmm. And you're Propinquity. saying we've mm-hmm. you're saying that we have to be intentional about the relationships that we build. Yes. Now here's the other piece I think is really important is creating empathy. So I think frequently we make enemies out of people. You're this. You know, you're privileged, you're, you know, we can go through the litany instead of creating an empathy that opens the door to understanding. And I think, you know, we try to yell at people what they should think instead of inviting questions. Why? Why do you think that? Why did it work that way? Why are you challenged with bringing somebody forward like this? You know, creating understanding is critical, but that empathy piece is something I've been really thinking a great deal about lately. If we look at any individual person, we all have something where we felt marginalized, where we were judged unfairly, where we didn't get an opportunity that somebody else was given and it wasn't right. And we knew it, right? We were put on the other side. And so if we can tap into that with whoever that might be, I think we make a lot more territory and gain a lot more territory. And that's why I keep coming back to that term enmeshment. So we create those relationships that, that trust to be able to bring those that we, we love and trust that don't look exactly like myself, right? Like don't look like you, don't look like me, that I can extend beyond just you know, what I have in that immediate proximity. Wow. So wait, are you suggesting that we immediately trust those who look like us? There's no, but we have far more opportunity. So first of all, sociologically, yes, that is true. I mean, scientifically, that's true. It's, I mean, there bias research, there's bias studies all over the place that would prove that is true. Having said that, I think that there is opportunity where we can extend that trust to what doesn't look exactly like us. And that's where I think there's just so much value. And I think also embracing discomfort. I really am disappointed that the word ignorant has become an insult. Jerome, I love you. I'm going to say you're ignorant about a lot of things. I don't know. Right. There's a lot of things you don't know. Thank you. Me, I am ignorant of a lot of things because I have not lived every human being's experience. I can only know my own personal experience and then extrapolate to others. So we need to create opportunity for conversation, not judging conversation, not 
guarded conversation where I have to be self-righteous and politically correct and, and, you know, do everything like this. We need to have real trusting relationships where we can have those real conversations. We had a conversation just this past week where on Friday nights we do celebrate. So we have two networking breakouts. We talk about everything that we're celebrating for the week, everything we have coming up that's great for the week. And then I just open it up at the end of the night. Now, at the end of the night, anything could happen. I could have somebody who's a writer in addition to whatever business they lead, and they'll do a reading. I'll have somebody who's a singer and they'll sing. I'll have somebody, you know, whatever it is. And so we just, it, I never know what's going to happen, Jerome. It's the greatest. Uh, and, and I always just say, look, I'm here until the last person is hurt. I'm here for you. I'll stay as long as you need me to on a Friday night. And so this past Friday, I have a leader in the group who's absolutely phenomenal. Her journey is incredible. And she happens to be a DEI leader. And so we had this whole conversation about race and just an incredible conversation of different questions, different experiences, completely impromptu. And, you know, and, and it was amazing. And were there uncomfortable moments? Absolutely. With the framing of this is really, really, truly seeking understanding and sharing with each other. And how do we manage this through our businesses? You know, and how do we make sure we're delivering on what we intend in terms of where our values are versus what ends up happening as a sort of subconscious societal acceptance? And as business leaders, we have a great deal of influence over what's considered acceptable and how people will behave in our environments. So I was listening to something. I can't remember. It was probably a podcast. And they were basically saying that tolerance or acceptance is a war that's waged in word. And you have to be able to communicate the idea in a way that people can consume it so that it becomes palatable so that change can actually be made. And I think that's similar to what you just offered to us. I think it is. It's interesting. You know, one of my, so my, I already said my favorite word, propinquity, just it's all about proximity and the relationships you form because of your physical closeness. But my other favorite word because of its meaning is grace and grace and understanding and support sadly lacking in so many ways, you know, and that vitriolic discourse that we can frequently see in media or social media, how does that contribute to making the world a better place? And at the end of the day, don't we want to leave it better for other generations? And I think that there's an importance in just the fundamental connectivity. It's very hard to make assumptions about somebody when you see their heart through somebody else. And so when we look at intolerance, it's frequently ignorance couched in anger and fear and all kinds of things like that. So my goal is how do we create that opportunity? And again, that enmeshment, if I trust you, Jerome, then I'm far more likely to say, ah, well, someone Jerome trusts, I would trust, right? And I could probably trust that person much faster than if I didn't know them at all through anybody that I trust. So, you know, if we create that enmeshment, that opportunity to really understand others, then we create an opportunity to change that dynamic completely. And in business, and this is where, you know, it's not just, it's the right thing to do, you know, whatever. I do believe it's the right thing to do, by the way. <laughs> However, in business, 
we have the opportunity to do that to create really successful businesses. When people are engaged that way, when people are trusting each other, when they're creating great teams based on that trust and aligning on a mission, you know, we do this successfully and then all of these great things happen. There's no stopping that team. And guess what? The challenges that might be pointed out in terms of why everyone's different go away because all I care about is you're delivering amazingly on something I can't deliver on to succeed in our mission. And the appreciation becomes far greater and the connectivity of understanding each other. The word intolerance or tolerance becomes absurd, right? Because this is a, this is a, a teammate that you love <laughs> and you want to see succeed because that means we all succeed. And then that creates more opportunity and impact. And each person can bring something truly unique to the table to drive that success. And I don't care if you're an 80,000 employee organization or a five person employee organization, or you've got uh, 1099s working with you as an independent. That is true. Now, your word choice, I think, is very deliberate. And so I'm going to probe a little bit. So you said the word love, you said teammate. A lot of people go to the word family. You didn't do that. Is there much behind that as I think there is? So here's the thing for me with that. And I think it's so interesting how people use that terminology. So I appreciate you pointing it out. Teammate, I think is really important because when you're on a mission, each person has what they need to deliver that's unique to them. And so it doesn't matter whether they're the highest ranking person or in business, the highest level in terms of approval or paying the salaries or whatever it is, or the lowest person on that totem pole. If every single person isn't delivering, you lose. So I'm a teammate (laughs) and to act otherwise is truly limiting in terms of how much success you can have with your organization. Love I use intentionally because I do believe we need to care about others. And that is something that matters. And so again, to act like in business that doesn't matter is ridiculous. The fact that I actually have true caring, which is a a form of love, right? For my teammate means that I'm not going to let them die, right? I'm not going to let them fail. I'm going to help them out. They have to be home with their kids today. They have an, an emergency that they need to deal with. They're really struggling with delivering something on time for work or whatever it is. I'm going to be there helping them. I'm not just going to say, too bad for you. I'm out, right? So so that's really important. Family, I do use. And family, I think, is important from the perspective of who's your chosen family. So we have our family that we're born into, and we have those we choose in our life. And the fact of the matter is we choose the people in our business life. That, That is absolutely a truth. So what does that mean? Now, there are family rules, right? So in my family, I have very specific family rules. Anybody comes to my home, the very first thing they hear, I don't care if they're, as long as they're cognizant, so not an infant, (laughs) but I'm telling you, two, three years old, I'm reading the family rules or someone in my family is through to, I don't care if you're a hundred years old, those are the family rules. And so a lot of times, Family gets used on like it's like a tug of war of, but I'm family. Yeah, okay. And there's still rules in this family, you know. So, so I would use family, but very clearly with rules of engagement. So for C suite, the rules are our principles relevancy, reach, reciprocity, respect. 
critical. You know, if those rules aren't followed, you don't get to play in the family. That's just not going to be acceptable. So do we want you to fail? Never. Will we support you in succeeding? Absolutely. If you choose not to observe, you are making that choice. So I think there's a lot of distinction, a lot of layers <laughs> that I would put in there with the word family, which is why I didn't use it at first. Jerome. Hey, I am glad that you didn't use it. I think it's thrown around and then people have to make a tough decision. I feel like they can't because it's family or mm-hmm. somebody feels like they can mistreat those around them because, oh, it's family. You understand. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah. grace is important, but not when somebody's intentionally being a not so nice person. And so those R's, I like alliterations. Give me the four relevance, reach, reciprocity and respect. So relevancy in our business community, you don't just come and throw up what's important to you and not observe what's going on in the conversation, right? That's unacceptable. Reach, great people come from great people. So we really celebrate our leaders that bring other leaders into C-suite because they know who in their community makes sense and would be a fit and would be somebody that could lead in the C-suite. And then we have our reciprocity. So we don't do that whole thing of, well, don't ask, that would be a conflict. That's, I always say that that's ridiculous, ludicrous, right? If you don't have an ask, you're not in business and you certainly won't be for long. You have to have asks, right? The, the situation is though, you also have to be giving. So when we introduce someone into the C-suite, we always say, who are you? What are you passionate about? What's your ask and what's your give? So we're already framing your introduction into that enculturation of, yes, you have an ask. Awesome. We want to support your success. And what's your give? And you know, it's not give to the point of martyrdom. It's literally, what do you have to give and make that healthy? (laughs) And then respect, that's an R that we added. So I added that in after George Floyd's murder. So we've gone through the whole political election time. We started into COVID. Then we had George Floyd and a lot of uncertainty and so on. And I actually became an American citizen right at the time of George Floyd's death as well, by the way. So that was a whole other discovery for me in terms of who I am and my identity as a Canadian and an American citizen. So so respect, I added as the fourth R because it is what a great community does we give respect because of who we are. Trust is earned by the other person. But who we are is a respecting community that will give that. That's, our, that, that's where we start. We give respect. And that's absolutely something we have to give to anybody, right? Trust is earned. So that's how the four R's came to be. And it means that I can hold a space in community. All of our leaders in C-suite can hold a space in community where there is that respect and a seeking of understanding versus uh, uh, judgment and silencing. Wow. So Trisha, what are you most grateful for? Oh my goodness. I am so grateful, uh, period. I just, I'm quite literally grateful for everything and every day. And I'm grateful that I can hold a space and create and continue to create and extend a platform where people are 
succeeding and they know that their life's energy, they're like everything they're doing with their businesses. And that is our personal lives, our business lives matters. And then it's having that impact. So I'm, I'm truly grateful every minute for being able to create and hold that space and see great people succeeding in business faster, maybe a little easier and with far greater impact. And the bigger we get, the more impact we have to keep fueling that. So I'm truly grateful for that. I'm truly grateful for all of the relationships that I have. My conditions of satisfaction in life are reaching for my great and helping everyone around me get to theirs, new challenges and new opportunities and things that, you know, I can uh, adventure, explore, you know, those kinds of things, and then real connection in the everyday. And so I'm, I'm grateful that I have every that, all of that in every day, no matter who I'm with or what kind of day it is, you know, weekday, weekend, vacation day, work day, whatever. I have those conditions of satisfaction met in the everyday. And I'm probably most grateful for that. Wow. Conditions of satisfaction. I've never heard that before. That's beautiful. It's a very powerful tool. And when I came into the C-suite world, I was the first sponsor of C-suite network. And then I came in and then I became a partner in the business. And conditions of satisfaction is a framework that C-suite has used since its founding. And the one piece that I've added on to it that I think is so critical as we think to what success looks like for each of us individually is that it has to be whatever your conditions of satisfaction are. You might have, you know, two, three, five, you know, in that range. You don't want more than that. It gets a little overwhelming. You need to ensure that they're reachable any day, anywhere, and no matter who you're with. Because if you don't do that, you're essentially setting up your satisfaction in life to be variable depending on something you can't control. You put it in a place where you can't get to it, right? It's over exactly. there somewhere. Yeah, I love that. Of, yeah. Yeah. Instead of in yeah. here, in the core. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what dream are you most focused on catching next? Oh, my goodness. So little dreams. My little dreams are I have a book that I haven't finished because with COVID, I just completely set it aside. And I'm going to be doing a keynote in March where... I need to have that book finished. So I got, I've got to get it done. So that's my, that's my little, you know, focus in addition to other things I have on my to-do list, but big dreams. I am committed to the mission of what I'm doing here in C-suite to create that billion dollar platform where the truth about the responsibility and the opportunity we have as business leaders to create really meaningful impact in our communities and succeed faster. You know, I think a lot of times people just associate, do the right thing, and then somehow you lose money, right? (laughs) Like the old-fashioned idea of a non-for-profit or something. It's about how we create faster success because we actually truly are serving the communities that we're in business to serve. And so I'm ecstatic to see that continue to build out, that those relationships continue to extend. And the platform, you know, we have education and networking, our media and distribution, our professional services in our marketplace, that those continue to scale and be useful tools for great business leaders to succeed faster. And then eventually the C-suite becomes the Amazon of the B2B decision maker. 
that it's where everyone goes and those audiences that we serve to get the services and products they need and deliver products and services that they have to sell. And, and again, we continue that larger scale impact and what we should own up to in terms of being a great business leader. Wow. Trisha, you are a dream catcher. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I just love your spirit. I, it, the sincerity that just exudes from you, the desire to make sure that people are cared for and the presence to hold people accountable when they say that they're going to do things is something that is usually not all packaged together. You usually got to go over here for this and there for that, but you got all of it. And I think it's why you're such a strong leader and why you attract so many people to you. So just thank you for being an example of what's possible. Thank you so much, Jerome. And thank you for bringing me into your family. You know, I'm so excited to be here with you because this message and how we can truly connect and create opportunity together. It's so important because there's so much out there. You know, we've all had that. Anybody who cares about what they're doing and the business that we're building, they're there. You know, this is about real business and it's just a justification for being an asshole. And no, let's hold that accountable. That's nonsense. That's being an asshole. That's not good business. That's not creating successful opportunity. That's being an asshole. (laughs) I don't care. Again, small business, big business, anything in between, that's being an asshole. And we owe it to the success that we see, the success that we enjoy to create great impact, great opportunity, and we will succeed bigger, faster because of it. You guys heard it here, and ladies, you heard it here from Trisha, the girl that grew up on a farm and figure skated in Canada who's bringing CEOs from across the world together so that they have a safe space to share, grow, and learn. Your dreams should be real. Until the next episode, we'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.